Hi, welcome to Office Hours, a podcast presented by College Fashionista. It's Amy Levin here. This week's episode is with Susie Cohen, Director of Brand Strategy at BuzzFeed. Susie attended University of Penn and started her career at Goldman Sachs. We chat about how she transitioned to a different industry and finding a company culture that works for your personality. Enjoy the conversation. I'm here with Susie Cohen. Hello. Hello. Um, Okay, so let's start from... You know, very basics. Sure. Where are you from? I'm from Houston, Texas, originally. Oh, nice. um, but I've been in New York that. for about 13 years. And it probably feels like it's been a couple of years, and then you're like, whoa, how did I by. wake up and it's been 13 years? Exactly. Um, tell me about, like, after college, where you went to college, sure. all of that. Um, I went to the University of Pennsylvania in Philadelphia, and then after college, I kind of went a very typical Penn route and went into the finance world. So I worked at Goldman Sachs for four years um, on the sales side of the business um, and selling kind of different financial service instruments for a couple years, selling stuff to hedge fund clients for a couple years, and then had um, kind of that moment in time where I realized it just was not for me long term. And why did you originally go that direction? Do you feel like that's all that you knew going to Penn or it's a good question. did it interest I, you? You know, it, I was an economics major, but it was more um, kind of theory-based economics versus business economics. Right. And I think that at the time, this was 2004, it was just really popular to go into finance. You know, it was a really hot career path, and there was a lot of recruiting on campus, um, and so it just seemed like kind of an easy avenue. Right. You know, everyone wants, like, good ROI from their expensive education immediately Absolutely. after, so I think that was uh, some of the thinking behind that decision. And I feel like being so close to New York, you guys, the, the students who go to school in Philadelphia, or the cities located around New York City, it's like... You're a little bit more plugged into the finance industry. Exactly. And and I feel like it's like you can make so much money in yeah. all of those very... For better or for worse, right. for sure. Flashy things. Okay, so four years into Goldman Sachs, you had this light bulb moment. Exactly. And then what happened? So I, I, I mean, I feel like I literally woke up one morning and was just like, I, I can't do this for much longer. I'm going to be burnt out. I just don't see myself in this career in the next 10 years. So I got very lucky. I reconnected with a friend of mine from Houston that I grew up with, a really great guy named Daniel Baker, who started a company called FlightAware, which is a travel uh, site and a travel app. And it's kind of commiserating with him. Like, I love sales. I love, like, the client-facing part of my job. I just don't really love the financial markets. And so he had launched this website and had kind of this affluent group of people that used it, people that traveled a lot for business. And so he was um, kind of seeking out advertising money from, you know, the Ritz-Carlton's and Lexus-type companies of the world. And so he was like, well, if you've done sales, why don't you come over and try ad sales? Um, and so I worked for Daniel for about eight months, and it was a tough time. It was 2008, so... Worst time. Bad market. Um, and kind of the luxury type of budgets from those type of clients weren't, yeah. weren't there. So we just we didn't have such a successful year, but... But, you know, it was a great experience for me. It was kind of my springboard, springboard excuse me, into digital media. So from that point on, I kind of, the writing was on the wall. I knew uh, my career there would be short-lived. But I was able to network and kind of find another job. And so I came across a company called Mebo, which I worked at for three years, which was the best decision I've ever made in my life because it was just this awesome, cool, fun uh, Silicon Valley startup. Um, we were doing like a web-based chat system. So it's like at the time you had Gchat, you had AOL Instant Messenger, you had Yahoo, and we pulled all those services together. Cool. And so I joined the ad sales team there. Um, and it was just an amazing, uh, you know, very impactful three years for me. And then we were actually uh, sold to Google in 2012. So it was really exciting to be a part of that event. Wow. That's yeah. awesome. Yeah. So I think let's 
explain to students what ad sales even means. Sure. So ad sales is working with advertisers like, um, you know, P&G or Unilever. These are companies that make products like Dove and Tide um, and also companies like Diageo, which make Captain Morgan rum and Smirnoff, um, just helping them advertise to the audience that they want to buy their products online. Yep. And, you know, before it used to be for media, print, then yeah. it's evolved to display media units, and now, I mean, you'll get to it at your role. The evolution right. of how advertisers work with media outlets is so different. Exactly. It's evolved quite a bit, even from 2008. For sure. Coming up to speed with your current role, which is not BuzzFeed, um, what's it like working there? I mean, I feel like it's such a interesting company, and it, it they really were at the forefront of yeah. kind of... Uh, digital media and this catchy content. Yeah, it's, I mean, it's a great company. It's a place that I hope I could be a lifer at. It's just, it's evolved a lot, even in the two years that I've been there. How many people were there when you started? So when I started, I think that if I remember correctly, I was maybe the, something like the 1200th employee, if I'm saying that correctly. But kind of interesting story, I interviewed there after this Mebo acquisition in 2012, and at the time, I think there were like 250 employees. So you can imagine that growth uh, rate is pretty impressive. So um, it's it's a great company. We have a very kind of young, innovative, creative culture. Um, and it's just, it's a pleasure to go to work every day. We do a lot of fun things. We have such um, a kind of, I think our consumers really love the brand. Um, yeah, people you guys love, have a cult following for we sure. We have a cult following. So it's just a lot of fun to be a part of it. Yeah, the culture seems, you know, it just seems like a great place to be. And I feel like whenever we speak to young people, they just aren't attracted to a Goldman Sachs type culture anymore. They want to be somewhere where they feel creative and, you know, they feel like their ideas are being heard. Agreed. Yep. And it's, um, I I speak to a lot of college students that reach out just based on kind of Penn alum uh, network stuff. And yeah, there's just a real appetite to be a part of an environment, I think, that um, is more similar to college, frankly. I mean, open workspaces and a lot of creativity and, you know, no real hierarchy. It's more of a meritocracy. I think that old school, you know, sometimes law firms, banks, it's kind of like you pay your dues, you get tenure, and then you move up. And this is truly... Do you think those organizations like the Goldman Sachs of the world will ever shift their company culture? I think we're already seeing it. I mean, I think as they are forced to become more digitally savvy, um, they kind of shift because they realize they have to attract a certain kind of talent, and that talent is used to operating and working in a certain way. So I think I've seen some of it, and I've kind of heard anecdotes of of that shift happening. Yeah, interesting. What is your day-to-day like being the director of brand strategy? Sure. So um, I work on a team of – I have a team of sellers that focus on food and beverage advertising clients primarily – um, and I essentially help them strategize around how to work with those brands to create custom content on BuzzFeed um, that gets in front of the right audience that would potentially buy their products. And so um, there's a lot of different ways that that happens. If you're a BuzzFeed reader, you know we do BuzzFeed lists and quizzes all day long. You might see a quiz that's from a Captain Morgan, which kind of has a Captain Morgan voice plus a BuzzFeed voice. Um, or if you are someone that likes kind of food uh, recipe content, you might have seen Tasty. So that's on uh, Facebook primarily. And that would be something in which we would work with that same Captain Morgan, for example, um, to do a really cool cocktail recipe with their product. So your team's really ideating these concepts and figuring out, here are our clients and here's our brand. How can we fuse the two together? Exactly. And the team really gets to know the clients and kind of what the brand voice and objectives are. And then we also have, and we love to brainstorm and come up with our own creative ideas, but we have a pretty massive creative services team that also um, kind of takes ownership of that process of like coming up with the real content uh, concepts. And where do you see digital media going? Because right now we're in a heavy, heavy sponsored content moment. But yeah. 
Where, where do you think it's moving from here? So I think that um, it's interesting. I think what we what we recognize in BuzzFeed has built you know their its business on this, but uh, millennials don't really respond to display advertising. Um, you know they they aren't sure what it is. If it's clickbait, it's just a, they don't. There's no way to react to it. I think um, custom content is uh, kind of allows the brand to have more of a conversation. And so I think that's certainly the now and the future. Um, I just think we're going into more of a mobile world and more of kind of a siloed world where the content that we consume day to day we very much customize and choose. Um, versus kind of having like your cable listings or your radio options. Like everything is on demand and customizable. So I I anticipate more um, innovation around that. But as far as the sales standpoint goes, continuing with custom content. Yeah. Like you don't see that going away anytime soon. I, I don't think so because I think custom content for us has evolved from, let's say, lists and quizzes to video, for example, and then sure. video being consumed on mobile. So I think the formats will change sure. as our tastes change. But um, I think custom content is the way to give brands a voice. And I think that millennials buy based on, they buy products based on, you know, products and brands that align with their values. And that's what custom content allows a brand to do. So what advice would you give to our listeners who are upon graduation? It's May timing. Um, They're really starting to think about, you know, how they want to make their mark on this world. What advice would you give them? Sure. Um, So I would say just to take risks and try a lot of things. I think when you're in your early, mid, late 20s, even, it's a great opportunity to test out even multiple career paths. Um, You know, I did kind of what I would consider the typical thing after Penn, um, which I have no regrets around at all. Um, But I feel so fortunate that I kind of made the career switch at 26 when I did, um, because I think the older you get, um, you know, we kind of grow up, you have families, you have responsibilities, it becomes harder to make such a seismic shift in kind of your day-to-day job. So try a lot of different things. And I think it's tough because you have your parents, you've got siblings, you have friends that are all kind of influencing your decision. I think it's just important to find something that you love because you're not going to be amazing at your job unless you're passionate about it. That's kind of my opinion. No, I think that's really good. Do you think that it was beneficial that you stayed at Goldman Sachs for four years rather than after one year being like, oh, I don't like this, I want to jump ship? Yeah, it was a mix of, you know, they called it kind of the golden handcuffs. I think at that time I was doing well there. I had just great mentors, great leadership. Um, I got access to a lot of different people and it was just, it was a big company that really embraced its analysts, which was kind of the freshman class. Um, Yeah. But I, yeah, I am glad I stuck around because I tried a couple different things just to be sure. Um, you know, I stayed in, in one group, which was uh, the prime brokerage sales group, and then I switched to money market sales. So I was able to get kind of the newer, um, uh, kind of the newer sales experience, I guess, with, with hedge funds, which were kind of a newer thing at the time. And then I moved to more of a traditional desk just to be sure. Um, and then after you a were solid like, four definitely, years. <laughs> definitely not into yeah, this. Yeah, after four years, I knew for sure that it was time for me to make a move. Um, Would you be turned off if you saw someone's resume where they were jumping around year to year? So it kind of depends. I always just like to ask why. And I see, you know, in digital media, you see people move around a lot because there's a lot of startups too. And there's people that I deem to be startup sellers. They, they like to hunt for new business versus someone that comes from a bigger company that might have only worked on, you know, one client account. So I just always ask why. And it could be a very unique reason as to like, I, I'm someone that likes to kind of help grow a company for a year and then move on to the next company to help grow it. Um, so so that wouldn't affect your decision one way or another. Yeah, it's You're not just necessarily interested in the story. Exactly. Not necessarily a red flag. Um, you like to see tenure. You like to see someone that's loyal for sure. But I also think that, you know, there's some kind of specifically within this industry, there's definitely reasons why someone might move around. Yeah. And I think young people in general constantly want a new challenge and want sure. something new and sexy and exciting. I do, though, think that, like, 
the first year you work somewhere, it's it's like it almost takes a full year to get adjusted to what your role is and the company culture and who you're reporting to and what your expectations are. Yeah. So I, I always encourage students to like, I like that you waited it out four years because yeah. you, you basically gave yourself a chance to really understand the company, mm-hmm. prove your success, but also determine that this isn't the right place for you. Agreed. And you don't want to pull the plug too soon um, because chances are I find those frustrations that you have at one you know digital company, mm-hmm. for example, you're probably going to have it in another place. Exactly. So kind of see it through a little bit. So you, you have to find this like balance and knowing your gut, um, you know, that you're not giving up on something yeah. too soon. And I would even compare it. I think that people that are graduating from college, you get an apartment in New York City. It's sometimes it's tough to find a place to live here, or any other big city, but you want to give it a year. You want to give it four seasons, to, you know, see how you feel in the winter versus the summer um, before you decide that you want to move. So it's kind of similar. Totally agree. And um, as far as where you live after you graduate, do you think that students who are interested in fashion and media, that New York City is the end-all be-all, or do you think you can make a career for yourself in another city? I think you can make a career for yourself in a lot of different places. And with fashion in particular, and with art, and kind of the more creative scene, like you hear about awesome places like Austin, like Detroit, that are kind of popping up that tend to be more affordable than New York City, um, that have a really thriving cultural scene. So um, I think it's great to also take advantage of your your young 20s to move around and kind of see if like I think a lot of people like to go home be close to their families it's an awesome opportunity to try a different coast try a different place yeah and that I mean I completely agree with you yeah. and I am constantly preaching that like New York is not the end-all be-all and you also have to know what type of person you are because this is a very tough city it is and just because you're here doesn't mean you're going to be successful you might be more successful in a smaller place because it's better suited for your personality I completely agree Um, so I think all those things really you know should be considered when you're graduating it shouldn't just you know be I want to get to New York because that's where everyone is it's like what do I want to happen in my 20s and how am I going to get there I know people that started here that moved away that came back Um, there's all kinds of stories it's just great to have the opportunity to try different places and I agree with you I don't think New York is the end all be all it's a wonderful place to to come at this you know at at a young age after college but um, there's definitely opportunities you know elsewhere yeah for sure well, this was great. I'm going to move into some questions that our style gurus have asked for you. Oh, great. Um, okay, so the first question is from Haley Olson, and she goes to North Central College. And her question is, how do you manage the BuzzFeed brand across multiple platforms like the .com, Facebook, Instagram, etc.? That's a great question. So we have content creators that specialize in certain types of content and certain formats that belong on all those different platforms. Um, And so we are constantly looking at kind of how consumers are shifting their usage. So Snapchat's a great example. Um, Snapchat has really popped in a big way, I think, in the past couple years. I'm actually a newer Snapchat consumer, and I love it. Um, But we now have content creators that focus on making, um, you know, BuzzFeed Discover content that lives on Snapchat. And so obviously the big differentiator with Snapchat Instagram, for example, is the video is is more vertical versus Snapchat, or excuse me, Instagram, which is like square. And so there's something as simple as the format, but then also the way that people use Snapchat. Um, You kind of get these kind of small little sound bites. Um, We create content that kind of works with that consumption pattern as well. So there's definitely different experts internally that focus on content creation across different platforms. That makes sense. The next question is from Christina D. Ambroso, and she goes to Fordham University. And the question is, is your approach to brand strategy influenced by the current political climate at all? And if so, how? 
That's a great question. We have um, we continue to ask our brand partners kind of what their perspective is in this environment. Um, there are some that I think do kind of take a stand, um, you know, on the right side or the left side. Others that have chosen not to participate because they don't want to alienate alienate any of their customers. Um, so I think, you know, BuzzFeed, if you were to look at us across the spectrum of news sources, definitely is a little bit more to the left. Um, we try to keep the politics out of our brand partnerships and. Um, I don't think that I've seen any, at least that I work on, that kind of take a stand or want to write that into their content, again, just because they Played typically are, Yeah, and they're looking for a, a wider audience, so you don't want to you know, potentially kind of have too left-leaning of a message and alienate people that um, you know don't agree with your point of view. So, yeah, it's kind of a, it's an interesting year, though, and a lot of conversations around it. For sure. And the next question is from Megan Sharp. She goes to Pace University. Have you found a morning routine that helps keep you in a good, productive headspace for the day? So I'm fortunate in that I am a morning person. So I'm someone that likes to get up um, early, probably three days a week if I can to work What's out. What's early? Early is like seven. So the alarm goes off at seven. I can kind of get- Seven's fair. Yeah, seven's fair. I don't, the six handle is, is tough. I don't get um, the six. I can't do the six. Yeah, so seven, seven fifteen, um, and I like to work out. And it's not a major workout. It's like a 20 to 30 minute run. Um, and that just kind of gives me, I think, the energy I need to start the day. So I love the routine of actually getting up, working out, having like a normal breakfast. I think some people skip breakfast breakfast or they have it at the office I typically make something for myself at home it doesn't have to be like using the stove it can be simple yogurt and fruit but that always um, is helpful to kind of start the day yeah <laughs> I completely agree and when the weather's nice I live in Tribeca right on the water and I like to get up go on a quick walk come back and eat and I feel like I did something before I got right. to work and it's like something about that just yeah. sets the tone for the day and I love it so much so when like this weather is crummy I'm like missing that. I'm yeah. like, I, I need that little kind of exercise in the morning that yeah. really gets me going. I completely agree. The last question is from Allison Kramer from Kent State. And her question is, what is your perspective on the idea that print is dying and digital media will soon be only online? I think it's happening. Um, you know, I've heard some numbers that definitely prove that, and I think it's it's no surprise, and it's been happening for a lot of years. I, you know, I'm personally, I'm a huge iPad and iPhone user. I think a lot of us are certainly, you know, we are addicted to our smartphones, but, I, you know, I've re I have great magazines that I read on my iPad, so I'm just hoping that that, uh, you know, the publishers of all that great content will, will continue to shift um, so that they are, you know, kind of in front of audiences where they're now spending time. So my perspective is that it's happening for sure. Um, and I think sometimes the more traditional media companies uh, are a little bit slower to adapt um, and evolve, but hopefully they'll realize that, you know, their bottom line is being impacted and so they'll move in that direction. I just read a great article on Business of Fashion about Condé Nast, and it was from um, a Condé Nast publisher, and it said, everyone's trying to be the next Condé Nast, but we're going to be the next Condé yeah. Nast. And so I definitely think the you know, more traditional media companies are, are on the bandwagon. They mm -hmm. get it. It just takes them a little bit more time to get there. Yeah, and it's funny, too, because I have friends that are very much of the mindset that you know they still want like an actual book to hold and read on the beach. They want a magazine for um, the airplane. That's me. That is yeah. so me. And and I that's me at some time, too, but still it's like I you have all these books that then take up room in your tiny apartment, and you could have the same ones on your Kindle. So it's just... I have to say, I'm definitely someone that's a little bit more more digital first um, at this point in time, and I think you know the rest of the world is kind of moving in that direction. So I hope that the Condes and the Hearst of the world kind of move, you know, with them for sure. Well, thank you so much. It was so nice chatting with uh, you. Same. Thanks so much for having me. I'm so flattered to uh, be here. Thanks. 
Thanks, Susie, for joining us. And thanks to you for tuning in. See you next episode.